Awoga, this is a 12th cast. Hello and welcome to bite two of Ganymede and Titan's uh, Red Dwarf 11 semi-retrospective. Uh, we did the full introduction on the last podcast, so listen to that. But now, <laughs> Officer Rimmer is the fourth episode of the series. Yes. Uh, I'm really interested in your, your response this time around, I really am. Why? <laughs> I can't because you really weren't that keen originally. <laughs> really? And what I want to hear is, <clears throat> is that you've decided that it's by far the best episode of the series. <laughs> is this true? It is. It has improved. I think, well, I saw Officer Rimmer recorded. And oh. I came away from the recording thinking that it was potentially truly excellent. And no, I, I think it is. Oh. I think no, <laughs> I think it is a really good episode. And I think I always have thought it was a really good episode. Yeah. But when it first came out, I was expecting a really good episode. But my caveat was always, ah, but they might fuck up the ending, because <laughs> I thought from going to the um, <laughs> recording that they hadn't yet done the ending. Yeah. But it turned out that they had. They had. And so my entire reaction to Officer Rimmer at at the time when it went out was completely coloured by the fact that I was so disappointed by the ending. I no, I think that's not only fair, but also understandable. And also there is a thing where when you, when you are really... It's always more interesting, if you're really enjoying a series, to when you see something that you're not that keen on, mm. to actually focus on that a bit more, because actually, why not? You've already spent three episodes, yeah. well, <laughs> or at least well, two episodes, saying how much mm. you really enjoy. So when you see something, you're going, actually, hang on, X, Y, Z. Yeah. It's more interesting to talk about that. And when, yeah, and when you you move away thinking, oh, that wasn't great, then it makes you question yeah. the, the other things more and makes me examine them. But now... Having rewatched it, knowing that there's a dodgy ending to it, I can enjoy the preceding twenty five minutes. Of great I, I mean, it's, it's my. Good. Yeah. It is a really good episode. It's, it's my. It's by far my favourite episode of the series. But not only that, it's also. There's, even with it being my favourite episode of the series, that ending gets worse and worse and worse <laughs> each time. It is piss weak. It is terrible. And I think I figured out, or we figured out when we watched it today one of the things that makes it so terrible at the end what the hell is going on with that bit where Rimmer is trying to get back through the door why does he need them to let him through the door mm. there's a keypad on Lister's side there is not a keypad on Rimmer's side why can he not get through that door no one designs a door that you can <laughs> well, you James can only C. get crazy through. well no he designed this is the thing he designed ah, all okay, that right, yeah. but so maybe there's a thing that maybe Rimmer's just a bad interior designer I don't oh, know yeah but I, why, he, but he has they, to, I, I couldn't remember what but you yeah, when he's bit where he has to resign in order yes. to get yeah. through so yeah. this whole thing and the episode four, so there's no reason why he should have to get them to let him through that door yeah. that's just bullshit and, and, it, then, and it does yeah. matter it, it's, it's kind of from when the Rimmer monster appears is when yeah. it starts to go a bit south. Mm. But it's it's like, but the design of the Rimmer monster I think is good, and I think it's funny, which is rare for yeah. Red Dwarf yes. to have a funny design as part of it. But it's, it's really not, well it's executed. not, yeah, it's not supposed to be 
giant and, and threatening in the traditional sense, like a, a Kinetawawi or a, yeah. uh, a Simulant would be. But it's freaky in its own way. Yeah. Although I think you're right about the criticism with the head that isn't Chris Barry's head. That's I really don't think that works. Yeah. I yeah. don't think that works. It takes you out of it. Um, so you've got this thing where he, he's got to bargain with Lister mm. to get through, and that doesn't really work. There's the bit where I resign and he, what, magically? <laughs> you need to say the words I resign and you magically <laughs> change. And it's a bad effect when he changes anyway. And then once he's through the door that he should be able to get through anyway, then it's this weird thing where you're creeping around. The, the, it's not very well state. Mm. It completely falls apart also, in in i don't even know what i'm looking at a lot mm. of the time in that where you are the stupid fucking pac-man stuff with the <laughs> oh, security things makes no sense it's 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 the kind of joke that breaks the reality of red dwarf because the whole thing about red dwarf is it's supposed to take yeah, the science fiction element episode, seriously that episode at that point was so ludicrous i felt like that the, the that the Pac-Man bit was just like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm along for the ride. Just <laughs> go on then. I'm beginning to suspect it was inserted uh, just so that we could have a Pac-Man level in Red Dwarf again. <laughs> <laughs> Which is confirmed. Um, um, I, I think as well, the, the, the very, very last moment where Lister makes a big thing of shooting this thing is, is piss poor characterization as well. Because that's not yeah. Lister at all. Yeah. That's... Really, like I know it's a monster and it's threatening and it's going to absorb them, but it's still a load of rimmers. It's still, yeah, still conversing with it, like yeah. seconds earlier, and, and, and you could reason with it. And yeah. it was a bit like Rimmer in that it was making a list and it, like he'd work something else out. He'd, like he he blows up a curry monster, sure, but <laughs> as a last resort, yeah. As a... <laughs> Tanya, what was your idea about what they could have done with the final bit of the episode, tying it in with? They should have just left him on board. No, I, I feel snacky. With Snacky. They, I feel they should have been able to lure the monster into an airlock or something. <laughs> um, well, if it was a woman, it would have just been attracted <laughs> to Well, well you see, Rimmer <laughs> didn't follow health and safety with that door. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I yeah, me and John were, ha- were trying to work out how you can get the doors, the office's corridor to work properly because that is... That's always annoyed me anyway. Well, I was, um, tr- I was, sort of thing. I was yeah. trying to figure out whether you could have done something where somehow the keypad on Rimmer's side got, got damaged or knocked off or hurt or something. But that's just me trying to put a Band-Aid over this weird... And why use Band-Aid? I don't know. That's American. <laughs> but anyway, um, I, I, there, is, there is a fundamental plot issue there where there is no reason for Rimmer to be trapped. Yeah. There's no reason for him to be trapped. This isn't just picking. The, the 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 central idea of he has to resign in order to save himself is a good idea. Yeah, but that could be kind put of in some other yeah. way. Yeah. But I, I I mean I have no idea how you'd fit that into a solution. But then you know I'm not the writer of Red Dwarf. But you're right. Like it, it's almost worth it just because the central idea is good and it's neat. It's a neat way of wrapping up that bit of the story, but the execution it's all about the execution. Yeah, when, when you're the most powerful board. person on board a ship, yeah. Why would you get necessarily get trapped like yeah. that? It seems it's a it's dodgy. You you need a way of tying in Rimmer's resigning to which they tried to they're trying to tie in Rimmer's resigning to saving him. And that makes mm. sense. Yeah. yeah. But you can't do that with a well, door. Maybe if he was cornered by this by this beast yes something cornered and, in the officer's quarters or yeah. something I don't know well there was a thing with um, with, with Captain Harry wasn't there which is that bioprinted crew 
when they've achieved their goal, they just turn back to paper again. So they could have done something with Rimmer having completed his task or whatever when he resigned. That then, yeah, it was weird that they never did anything because Herring obviously once he'd once he'd saved the ship from whatever that material vanadium or whatever it was they had to save. Once that was done, he then just turned back into paper again. So technically speaking, the person who is bioprinted isn't really human. It's like just it's a facsimile thing. But the thing is, it's like you're gonna shoot a bit of paper. That's essentially what Lister is shooting at. Is a bit of what is essentially you know just you know very technological paper. So it's just it's all made yeah, of paper. It's all made of paper. Um, well, yeah. is I mean to be fair, that's that's maybe an issue with the episode as well that samsara yeah. whether it um uh whether it wraps it up to your liking or not at least throws out some moral and ethical issues with this yeah. um officer rimmer goes out its way not to bring up ethical issues about bioprinted yeah. there's really not very much discussion but what there about is, what these people are is one of the finest <laughs> visual gags of the show's history, which is Captain Herring's head. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's oh, just really great. Really and all the bioprint stuff, like that, all the gags for that work really well. Oh, it's really a well it, like, through. and again, it's it's close to the wind of things that we have complained about in the past of Doug getting in jokes about contemporary technology mm. or annoyances yeah. with modern life. Yeah, but he basically just does a load of jokes about dodgy printers, but. They're, <laughs> all really funny and they're all because they've got this twist on them that they're not just what they are IRL it's all transposed onto this bioprinting technology and it really works it's lovely body horror inherent in the whole thing the the shots of trying to pull out the printer there's some (laughs) nasty stuff going on there and a bumming joke (laughs) <laughs> and there's a bumming joke oh, as well. Have a bumming there joke is a bumming joke. I did look at that and think, I'm not sure that was strictly necessary, <laughs> um, but, but I'm not saying I want it removed. I'm, I'm kind of glad it happened. The Captain Herring reveal as well like, works so well because it's. The, the, the build up to it is superb because it's shot so moodily and so dramatically mm. in the build up and intercut in, with the opening scenes of, you know, the. The, the readout on the screen and the paper going in and then suddenly it just all just explodes in, into ridiculousness. It's just really well executed. And also, the, uh, it just I feel I feel like almost just for that one episode, I've got the Rimmer I love back. Mm. Um, I felt I I loved Rimmer in that episode in a way that I haven't since series six. Um, I yeah. just everything about it was so. So rimmery, the whole thing was so rimmery. I can't, I can't. It was everything just made sense, and and even down to his downfall being him trying to force the printer through, um, uh, quickly because he's impatient and he's you know the it's his own um, qu- um yeah. character faults that causes the fault. problem. It's it not just a random plot, but everything just felt right and, with this character. Uh, Crichton being his tool as well, like that's a very classic thing. <laughs> yeah, it's like, meltdown. Well, yeah, and then it's also the... he kicks Crichton at the ass. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like Crichton being like an unwilling accomplice in Rimmer's well, insanity. Was, but I, was, is... I love uh, Crichton's <laughs> bit of business of uh, <laughs> if you think. I'm yeah. going to select all of these files. <laughs> so he gets his acts of rebellion in there, but yeah. also has to do the other thing. And also, it's some of my favourite Lister material for ages as well, because when Lister's got a real Rimmer to react against, or at least my version of what a real Rimmer, real <laughs> Rimmer should be, then I believe Lister so much more as well than in many other episodes. 
in the day mm. there it just i i those those first 20 minutes 25 minutes to me are the closest red dwarf's been to um to classic red dwarf because I, I love lemons actually or at least i really like lemons but i'm not sure i look at lemons and go that is a really classic feeling show yeah whereas yeah. i look at the first 20 25 minutes of officer rimmer and i it feels pretty close to uh, yeah the not, kind of Red Dwarf that I really love. Not only does Doug manage to make uh, jokes about dodgy printers be successful, he also manages to make a really good joke about call centres as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's an astonishing feat like, to and pull that off twice in one There was more in that bloody scene, which we will, may never ever <coughs> see, stuff that was recorded on the audience night. Uh, we should I've oh, talked about yeah. this a little bit more as well because we've not spoken about it really on a podcast since the DVD came out. But there's a, a deleted scene that was really significant that is not on the DVD, yes, where they're talking in the bit where they're talking about Lister's genome being sold. Another use that was discussed was that there was a um, male escort genome called Dirty Dave. <laughs> that was, that was oh, which was the tiny teaser. It was the tiny it? teaser for the episode. That's how significant I yeah. found now, it to be on the night. Do, do we think that's because that's been reused somewhere in 12? Well, quite possibly because there are bits in the uh, in the opening scenes for Officer Rimmer um, the bits uh, where Lister's talking it w- wakes up from his dream and Rimmer talks about his he's he dreams about flying all the time. What's that got to do with sex? That is taken from a episode in series twelve, or at least the script is. Yeah. Because I saw that recorded as. So we haven't got to the bottom of whether the recording is from series twelve or not. No, we don't know That's for so sure. Now, which which is the episode that has the changing panels and Starbug in the background? Is that oh, Twentica? Oh, or is that no, has got a bit of series oh, 12 that, bunker. Is this Officer It is Officer Rimmer. It is Officer Because, Rimmer, yeah, yeah, the panel's changed, which surely means... That it's footage that's shot on the 12 set. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so it's definitely shot on the 12 set, but whether it's literally the footage that was shot for... Right, on the night. Or, on the night, or if they remounted it got to make it fit in with you know, costumes and whatnot. Re- Dressing for reshot eleven stuff on the pickup week. No, (laughs) (laughs) because look at the state of the bunk room in twenty. Well, yeah, of course. Um, Also, I have to say, look at the state of that fucking bunk. One of my um, one of my favourite moments in the entire series is just the shot of um, one of the Rimmers walking into the officers' club, holding out his arms outstretched and saying, (laughs) "I'm walking in." which is just brilliant. I just the multiple I, rimmers I like. Uh, I the shop. The song I like. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's a pity it was spoiled, but nonetheless, it's good. And just and I find it, it's especially interesting because a kind of constant refrain of my reaction to Dave Vera Red Dwarf is that I am more interested in the guest characters, and you couldn't be further from that here. No, you actually, you know, you. It's so rare that I really feel this strongly about our core cast yeah and something about this episode i just reacted so well to well it's 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 been so long since they've dedicated so much time to rimmer's character yeah uh because there are there have been rimmer episodes where rimmer is more central than Mm. lister you know trojan uh, Trojan and the beginning but there was so much other stuff going on in trojan the beginning like you had a much bigger uh guest performance in Trojan Light like, there was more it was more about Howard it was as much about Howard as it was Arnold. The beginning you've got 
in so much peril that his yeah. like Rimmer comes up with the plan, but it's not really about Rimmer. Yeah. Whereas Officer Rimmer, yeah, it's the first time that we've really taken time focusing on his psyche. Yeah, and, and terraform some of the best special effects sequences the show's actually ever done in terms of the, the multiple the, the very first stuff that was shot for the series I believe far, uh, if it? I remember right from the DVD and is actually, the scene with the multiple rumours and actually yeah. I don't know how they did a lot of that I have no clue I presume it's a lot of very clever rotoscoping or whatever there's lots of yeah we, well they had a very very amusing rough cut on the night where it was just <laughs> it was just the, um, the the brushes with basic green screen done to it but yeah, yeah. it's it's rotoscoping and multi tracking that was one of the things you mentioned that could go one there way there was two other yeah ones, in, in the same yes. report I mentioned yes. there was two things that could go one way or the other and they did because uh, the, <laughs> the officers club scene was excellent and the ending was not <laughs> yes yeah, okay. I, I find I do I find that ending so do you know what I don't find it that upsetting because I've enjoyed the previous 25 minutes so much but man if only that ending had been nailed and I could have just said I love everything about this episode. Mm. It, it's it's frustrating, and I, I think it's not just, it's not just the implementation. There's real plot issues. They haven't figured out how to cover to have to carry out that the end of that effectively. Mm. It's it's a wrong decision to have him trapped behind the door. And if they could have figured out a way of doing it, so he needed to resign, and also instantly, wouldn't it be? I would have believed that resigning stuff a bit more if Holly had still been around. Yeah. Yeah, or, or they they bumped up the JMC computer. Yeah, but there's he just says, I resign any changes. I don't yeah. buy that. There's a lot of stuff that I suddenly don't buy in the episode at about the minus three minute mark that I buy everything else. Especially as earlier um, Captain Herring had had to like physically himself give officer uh, give Rimmer his officerhood. Like he had yeah. to decree it as a, an official space corps person. Yeah. Uh, but then it becomes an automated thing again. What, what's the line Captain Herring says about admiring the ceiling? What is it? <laughs> stunning lattice. <laughs> that's, the, the lattice. That, that's a hell of a ceiling. You know, <laughs> the lattice works stunning. There we go. It's brilliant. <laughs> And a great performance by Stephen Critchlow, who's yeah. like completely unrecognisable for obvious reasons. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for ob- but, <laughs> obviously. Yes. That's another great joke. <laughs> yeah, quite underplayed. As yeah. Well, like, it's hard for me to see, obviously. obviously. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I'm and pleased. I just, I just, I'm, it's so nice to have an episode that I can just be positive about. <laughs> really. Well, you say that you did spend the first five minutes of this analysis. <laughs> I was getting it over with. Yeah. It was with love. Yes. No, I was just going to say um, uh, another. I'm going back to Captain Herring just as a as a as a as a guest piece was just brilliant. But the the one of the funniest things I saw, and I'm reminded of Roger and the Rotten Trolls when I see his face because it reminds me of Jochenthwaite. But when he sort of when he gets to Lister and he kind of just grabs his face, he goes, "I've got my eye on you," and then it slow <laughs> dip down to his head. And it's really creepy, and it's it's brilliantly done. I just love it. I just the you they use every bit of that. They've used every part of that. The two yeah, there's, there's every single at least for the first twenty five minutes, every single situation in the episode seems to follow logically, mm. and they get just the right amount of jokes from it. And then they move on without over-egging it or under-egging it. It all seems to make sense. I think that that's hits why it in the head. That's everything like you know the scene where you've got the multiple listers in the call center they get loads of jokes out of that i mean i don't know maybe the stuff you talked about <laughs> yeah. was cut would have worked but not it feels at least watching it like they they didn't over they didn't do too many jokes about that they didn't 
mm. do too few. Good, they really got just enough. They that. moved on. All the stuff with um, uh, the multiple rimmers, they just it just feels like... Like with Twentica, I'm struggling because it feels like they're throwing too much at you at once and mm. it never feels like they're throwing too much at you at once uh, too much of of anything at once or, or in the case of Red Dwarf 8 there's not throwing enough <laughs> at once they throw the exact right amount yeah they throw the exact <laughs> amount of shit at the screen <laughs> in, in it just it just all seems to fit well yeah it does fit I think that's hit the nail on the head of why this episode is so satisfying up until that point and actually is the... that it's it's that you think of the idea of You've got a character whose eyes and nose are at the top of his head. Yeah. What is every single joke that we can get yes! out of that? Yeah. Tick. We're, okay, we've got we've got <laughs> yeah. one where he's admiring the ceiling. Yep. We've got one where he can't see the monitor. We've got one where he doesn't know who's spoken. We've got one where he thinks this is having a da da da. Is that yeah, yeah? They've done every single one and then yeah. finished and then he disintegrates and, and, he and has more comedy. Yeah. Although, um, <laughs> speaking of the effects work, I said the effects work of um, Rimmer. Uh, not you know going back to his normal self wasn't well done. I didn't think the effect of he- um, herring actually disintegrating was particularly good. I really remember it it oh, looks quite... a bit too much like just a straight wipe down. It's not just very good. Um, reminded me weirdly of do you know the shot where they fall through the floor in um, oh, yeah, the beginning? Yeah, yeah. It's that kind of thing. It's the the look at it and you've gone well. You've got the right basic effect, but you needed some work additional work put on top of that that you haven't done. Looked a bit like an early pass. Mm. <laughs> Um, but you know, I'm I'm criticising for yeah. something to talk about there. So it's a good episode. It was your favourite episode of. But favourite episode of um, eleven, I think, and it, my favourite episode of the Dave era. Full stop. Yeah. Actually, um, if anything, it got. I enjoyed it more on my rewatch today than uh, before. Yes, I I would concur. Well, my favourite episode of series eleven is Crisis. Can of Worms. <laughs> it is Crisis. <laughs> is it really? Yeah. I've that decided. is shocking. That, that is interesting. I've, de- I've decided. It's my favourite episode as well. Yeah. It is me my and Danny. favourite episode. It is Danny. my favourite episode. <laughs> he doesn't like Red Dwarf. I see what you're doing. You're referencing Andrew Collins. Also, and that. And okay. both things at once. <laughs> but no, I, it is. I, I don't know whether it's just. Uh, it it seems to speak to me <laughs> about, <laughs> about how pointless life is, and I think it's because <laughs> in the year in between uh, this episode being recorded and it being broadcast, uh, my entire view on the world irrevocably changed yeah. <laughs> due to the actions of my fellow countrymen and our compatriots across the pond. But Villa will be back in the Premiership soon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's mad. <laughs> no, it's. Um, it's a very strange episode of Red Dwarf. Yeah. I was so worried about it beforehand because on paper, <laughs> Crichton has a midlife crisis is up there with Crichton is reclassified as a woman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or, you know, or Crichton becomes Crichton hysterically is, jealous. Crichton is hysterically jealous of Kachansky. Yeah. It's, it's not the kind of thing where you can guarantee uh, confidence that it will be... <laughs> <laughs> it will be pulled up yeah, in the in yeah. the right manner. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so and so based on that, I just I just got an episode that I agreed with on a kind of philosophical level, which was not something that I was expecting. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that much intricacy and that much thought. Similar to John's reaction to the Karma Drive 
The fact that, as you said, it could have just been a simple thing, but they put more into it than you were expecting. Yeah. It was the same with Crichton's midlife crisis. I thought it would just be, oh, he's he's halfway through his life, he's going to do this thing. But he actually talks about stuff that I think is, is fair enough. And makes and, sense with the character. It's the sort yeah. of thing you'd expect him to be. And throughout the episode, he, he makes conclusions that I also agree with. And yeah. you go on a journey with Crichton. And it's not just a superficial one of him learning that you know he doesn't need the to. True meaning of yeah. Christmas. Yeah, it could have been. It could have been either too sentimental or too shallow, and I think they got the mix quite right, just right by making it philosophical rather than sentimental, but still having quite a nice conclusion, which is that um, it doesn't matter as long as love exists. Yeah. Which now that I say did it is a bit sentimental. Did they have <laughs> to talk to literal God about it? Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, that is a very strange. <laughs> My favourite line of yeah. the series is "What a very strange." Yeah, thing. That, you know what? <laughs> Almost justifies the and whole it is thing. Brilliant! It gets no reaction at all from yeah. the audience. <laughs> I don't know if it's even intended to be. Uh, I see it as quite a meta thing I of, so. of the character. Of, of like Doug saying, "Yes, that was a weird one, wasn't it?" Yeah. But it could have just been. It could that so, could be a reason sorry about too that. much I had the it. flu. Um. <laughs> but I, I'm not 100 percent sure about him having the voice of Morgan Freeman. No, <laughs> but, really, really <coughs> too distracting a decision. I think. I, I think, think I'm read. I'm in the middle of reading because I read Doctor Who magazine while I poo. And so uh, each art- it's quite a lengthy article that I'm reading at the moment, so it's going to take a couple of days. But I'm in the middle of reading an article about the supernatural in Doctor Who and how there's always a scientific explanation for everything, which is Clark's third law of science fiction. Right, right. See, we know what we're talking about on GMT. <laughs> uh, well, Ian knows what we're talking about on no, Ian half reads things <laughs> that other people know about. But... That is the case here with the universe, in a way. It's not God. Yeah. I mean, it's still no, a stretch. No, it's Futurama's God. Yeah. And I struggled with it because I thought at the time that they were... This is them confirming that God definitely exists in the Red Dwarf universe. But it because there's a bit where he says, I only created one planet with life on it. it and the implication is that this is an omniscient being that grants life and that therefore is God. Yeah. But I think there's a place for it in the Red Dwarf universe... Because it's not our universe. It's not a Christian god. Or yeah. any, or indeed any other type of god. It's an agnostic they, god. Yeah. Don't they deliberately... I cannot remember the line, but don't they deliberately invoke god as a bit of foreshadowing about ten minutes in? I cannot remember. One of the final lines of a scene brings up god. Crichton says when he's talking to the universe that god may or may not exist. So I think that the the concept of we'll God find out. yeah <laughs> the concept of God is separate from the universe but like so there's all this stuff and that's the bit that where I got more than I was expecting and also we didn't really know about Butler in advance oh. did we I, um, see, there was one there was, was one photo cunty on Twitter feed <coughs> oh that yeah yeah there, there was one photo that was used uh, sort of I think on the day of that it that it appeared on yeah, UK yeah. TV Play, so before broadcast, but after it had been released, uh, which was I thought was a picture of the crew, and then I scanned past it a second time and yeah. thought that, that oh man, that's not <laughs> it, right. Yeah, really, you can like 
it can pass you by. Yeah. It's it's uncanny. It's an uncanny it's really well, it's like yeah. yeah, it's like an alternate universe. I think it's because you're both a series series ten costume. That's weird. Mm. Speak. Well, yeah. I mean, it wouldn't be the first time that a dodgy picture of Christ had been released. <laughs> <laughs> so you might just. Um, I yeah. I I mean, I I really like uh, Crisis, and again, I think it gets better as you go along. But I struggle with a lot of the moments before Butler appears because. It feels a bit too straight down the line. Oh, so if you're going to do midlife crisis, mm. yeah, um, it gets away with it because it takes a sharp turning again, which is yeah. something this series. Does well, it can but... take sharp turns at a much more acute angle <laughs> in this new series. Um, and I and I still I think the episode sets me off on the wrong foot in that I just do not buy that Crichton's lifespan is six million. No. <laughs> oh, yeah. I just don't buy. Now, I, and, and I do, again, it's back to that conversation of, do I care what Crichton's registration is? No, I don't. Mm. Do I care what that Crichton's supposed to be built for six million years? Well, that seems a bit more reasonable to me. And I know it's just a way of getting in to it. I don't know whether they need to be that literal. I also don't know that Crichton needs to be three million years old. Because yeah. this is a thing, and I, I thought of this when I watched Samsara as well. Because when we have that pre, well, not pre-titles, but the the first sequence of the Samsara <laughs> escape pod crashing, the caption says three million years later, and I just thought, well, not necessarily, yeah. because they're out there that far out in deep space. Mm. It, it, like the human race, I think that something has switched in the Red Dwarf uh, universe in the same way that that things have changed over the years. The current thinking seems to be that um, the human race <laughs> went extinct when the radiation leak happened, which is not the case. As far as I'm yeah. concerned, the, the human race carried on for could be another million years. Yeah, it was uh, the explanation for why the human race is extinct is that no one lasts three million years. Would yeah. we not possibly look very different? Three million years of evolution. Later. Well, hopefully we don't look like you. Well, quite. <laughs> but or is the idea that actually wouldn't it be funny if we had evolved past into something where we look completely different and then just de-evolved back, like with VHS tapes? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I, I think. Um, but yeah, what I was saying um, before you made some very good points <laughs> is is yeah, I I struggle with the first ten minutes of the episode, and then as soon as Butler appears, I'm just. Yeah, yeah I'm just, I'm just. Butler's, Butler's great. The stuff on board the Nova Three, but the the Equihente scene is, again, I think possibly my favourite of the series, if not the Dave era. What the um... Equihente? Uh, as soon as the Gulf comes on and it's ah, yes, peril, peril, yes, 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 and then yes, just yes, the yes. tiniest, most perfectly timed pause before Butler just goes Equihente. <laughs> <laughs> what is so good about? Well, but Butler's so well played and like almost understated and overstated at exactly the same time. But what really, really works is how Doug keeps hammering away at the point. Like there's a there's a layer of of smugness and and just it just keeps piling on top oh, of Crichton yeah. again and again and again. Like he keeps being perfect in different ways, in different more unexpected ways. And then there's a Gelf and he knows him and he saves his whole tribe. And it just keeps going and it's. Even at and the it end all when it's revealed that he'd set the whole thing. <laughs> yes. and, and it's and so beautifully portrayed because Butler could have been so annoying. Yeah, He has to be just the right level. He has to yeah. be enough of a twat that Crichton is justified to yeah. not like him. Yeah. But not too much of a twat that we don't like he him is either. Precisely, he is precisely Crichton's ace runner. Yeah. 
because everyone else loves him, Crichton hates him, and is a really difficult see, character to play. You see, weirdly <laughs> enough, I obviously, I mean, actually, Dimension Jump at times is my favourite episode of Red Dwarf, but arguably, Butler is, well, Butler's certainly a more subtle yeah. creation. <laughs> yeah. Which isn't always mean. Kind of. Which I doesn't mean... mean he's better. Subtlety is not always a plus yeah. point. But. I don't think he's written very subtly. I think he's played very subtly. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly think like the, the the writing is just yeah very very plain. It's like it's just do you dabble <laughs> in medical science. <laughs> do you dabble. There's, there's, a, there's a particular <laughs> um, sad expression that Christen pulls um, in the scene <laughs> with his face is literally just a semicircle <laughs> down, pointing oh, down. Oh yeah, the the which frown. is just. <laughs> Brilliant, and I and I think he oh, he works so well because everyone has met someone a bit like that. I, I it really called to mind just one person that I met years and years and years ago who wouldn't stop talking to me about traveling. <laughs> like, like, have you have you travelled? Like, no. Oh, you must travel. Like, this 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 and 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 it just kept going. It's like, have you done this? Well, I have, and I'm going to tell you about how great this is. Um, Really well observed, and then and then all that stops, and it's people making silly noises for a minute and a half. That's <laughs> yeah, it no, all that's... blows up like it builds and builds, and then it's just Mars. <laughs> oh, it's just. I, but I, I like, could have put up with another minute of that. I like that even Cat is impatient <laughs> and frightened. Mars, <laughs> 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 oh, it's, no, that's my that might actually be my single favorite scene. I think it's, okay, it's something that could very easily have like yeah. the, <laughs> if it wasn't just such an inherently funny idea and such an inherently funny noise it's like comedy is on such a fucking knife edge the whole time like yeah. that could have been see you in 10 minutes for yeah. the yeah, Cup yeah. of Dave era yeah. but and it actually, wasn't because I, it was funny I yeah. don't know how you write that either Yeah, it feels like some of the more improvisational moments in Partridge it does yeah it feels like something that's been it feels like it's improvised up. and then written down. Yeah. Well, do, you, do you think worked it might have up. been? It, yeah, it might have been worked up like in rehearsals. Yeah, like it might. I mean, they might have mentioned there's that some in the great. Yeah, some of the best bits of the documentary is when the main cast is just all talking about how brilliant Dominic Coleman is. Is it mm. Dominic Coleman? I think it's, it's Dominic yeah. Coleman. Good. <laughs> no, I got him briefly confused with Noel Coleman. Who <laughs> it's is the not cat Noel priest. Coleman. He's dead. Uh, they're all talking about how brilliant Dominic Coleman is and how impressed they all are and they're all kind of watching him in the yeah, scene. You know, it's a bit David Rossi, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, you bring in an alternate they, they, they've, they've had that a lot. Like um, In every series documentary, it's always like, oh, I can't believe we got this person. Yeah, everyone like, raises their game. Person, everyone yeah. does a little bit better and tries a bit like harder than those people are in. Is, yeah. Yeah. No, and then you get on to the universe bit and... I've kind of mm. flip-flopped on this. I, I, I still feel that you didn't need to be as explicit about the love stuff. I don't actually think you needed to use that word. And I would <laughs> rather it have been um, uh, spoken about in terms yeah. of family or something. Mm. I, I, it, it feels like it's nearly there in terms of nailing down it, it, what it all... does, and it doesn't quite. It ends up being trite rather than actual, actually relevant to. To like Crichton's journey, I think I yeah. said something along those lines in the review. I'm trying to remember, but I, I definitely ended it quite negatively on that scene, just because like the, the the general sentiment was definitely there, but it just didn't seem to it just seemed to go for the obvious ah love mm. rather yeah. than yeah. how this relates exactly to how Crichton <laughs> was thinking all this time. 
It's a difficult when one. When I think about it now, not watching the episode, I completely agree with all the criticism and it sounds shit. <laughs> <laughs> but when I watch it, yeah. I think it's just because I've been on that journey with Crichton throughout the episode and sort of following yeah. the same conclusions as he is that, yes, the universe is a bit of a shit place and a lot of the time what you do is irrelevant but there's always something in your life that is that makes things worthwhile and you, you've always yeah. got people and you've always got a reason to carry on I'm, I'm coming off the sounding like I'm suicidal but I'm <laughs> <laughs> but like yeah, yeah watching that I completely agree with the conclusion that Crichton comes with and it's only when I'm outside of the the journey of watching the episode and being involved with it mm. that I realise that he's talking bollocks and so <laughs> I don't think it's a criticism <laughs> like for me the fact that he's talking bollocks is still fine yeah <laughs> yeah it's a weird and it has to say how beautiful that scene looks as well in terms of its staging mm. I presume it was all shot in front of an audience on green screen was it? no that I would have been pre-recorded so. was it all yeah. pre-recorded? yeah because it's 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 so performance-based, it, it's almost a shame they didn't do there it was, the audience. There was definitely some behind-the-scenes stuff. Yeah, it was, a, it was Very just large. a big old yeah. green cloth. But it, it yeah. looks really good. Uh, just... That's the other thing that uh, Crisis yeah. gave us, is the word plosh. <laughs> of course, plosh. Which isn't actually said in the episode, no. it just has one in I, it. I, I absolutely love the fact that it's such a stupid joke that Crichton just forgets to make the food. It's not explained in any other way. He's just forgotten, and that's it. And I, I, just, I love the fact he's he bothered, didn't try harder. He's there. bothered to come in and give yeah. a <laughs> Do everything apart. But, but like, making the food isn't like one step it's not like oh I forgot I forgot to get your orange juice or I forgot to put the sprig of parsley on top I forgot this hour long process don't forget the pancakes on Jif Lemon so I remember who was it you Ian who was saying that you were you were very disturbed by the implications of crisis when you first saw it are you a lot happier now with I think yeah I think it was uh, the god Debate, yeah, which we've kind of covered in that I think the episode makes it clear that this isn't God and it's certainly not the Christian God, but it is the universe, but it is the universe, and that is weird. Or <laughs> is it a whole thing set up by uh, Butler? I don't think we can assume <laughs> that. I think um, we have to I go with what the episode's yeah, telling us. Yeah. Well, I think you have to remember as well that, it, that in Red Dwarf, we don't just have one universe. So this is a universe, not the universe. But it is our universe. Is it? Well, <laughs> is it? <laughs> There's <laughs> nothing that says it isn't, which means I think we have to well, assume it is. When you say R, do you mean... I mean the universe the re- that the dwarfers dwarf are characters. in. It is my it is universe. To, to, to all intents and purposes, this is the yeah. most important universe in Red Dwarf. Because it's the, the one that our universe. characters live in. Don't forget, the ship was built as a way to communicate with the universe as... And, and that's basically like a translation system. It's like, so the way that they've translated what the universe is trying to tell us just happens to sound like Morgan Freeman. And that could be the programmers just having a laugh, like turning yeah, Siri into yeah. the yeah. voice it's of the balls. It's not the Morgan Freeman you know what I mean? that slightly bugs me, that it's not that. I can totally buy that that's just what the program's doing. But it is the, I- the idea that you are 
talking to the entire universe is such a big one and it didn't <clears> bug me when I first watched it then when we did the dwarf cast it started bugging me because everyone talked about it and now I actually don't know what I think now I'd, I'd forgotten and now it doesn't bother me isn't, yeah. isn't there an actual isn't there a moment where there's a counter theory thrown in by one of the characters about actually like so this is God or the universe or you know a ro- something about a rogue AI or something or like you know, yeah. interpretation of the machinery yeah. rather than so so well, yeah they're, yeah they're not literally having a conversation it's not the universe isn't a being that can have a conversation with no, you in this, English this, this is, is the computer yeah. interpreting so it whatever could be signals off on the, are in yeah. the in the universe it kind of assumes that there is a vague intelligent design to the universe maybe which is not something that I agree with IRL yeah but it's not it's not God, basically. Yeah. It's not it's not the the <laughs> old testament fucker. I've thought of <laughs> a, a nice a nice implication of the, the well, the dismissed theory that Butler set it all up. Yeah. If Butler did set it all up, then the, the Butler com- did it. Then the the, the but A the Butler did it. <laughs> B the conversation he has with Crichton afterwards where he says that he calls him uni is just him deliberately yes. rubbing it in. Which makes it better. <laughs> so let's pretend better. Do you, do you know what case. though? If, if the episode had actually stated point blank that Butler set it up, how lame would that have yeah. been? Yeah. That yeah. would have been awful. I think it's fun to mess around with the idea of did Butler set it up, didn't he set it up? But if you're actually analysing the episode as a whole, you have to go with the fact that he didn't set it up mm. because the episode gives us no indication anywhere. Yeah, no, absolutely. That he didn't. I, I, I just like the idea that he was being a deliberate cunt at the end. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, that's an interesting thing. How how deliberately annoying is Butler being? Yeah, <laughs> I, I think, think that's an open debate. He might alone. he might have a little bit. Yeah, he might. Well, Crichton goes there with the agenda of. Uh, I'm going to be superior to this guy. This I'm going to. Yeah. This guy is going to be rubbish. I'm going to be so much better than him. Mm. So Crichton goes down there with those intentions. So it wouldn't be unreasonable for Butler to think, "Oh, there's another mech. He's supposed to be superior to me, but yeah. I'm going to show him just how superior I am." And actually, yeah, yeah we, we were perfectly happy for Crichton to do that, weren't yeah. we? But yeah. when oh, he but gets, yeah. yeah, Butler's within his rights to be a prick if he's being a prick on purpose. I yeah. think. I mean, he's either spectacularly. Or spectacularly lacks self-awareness, or he is—he is being a bit of a prick because he—he <laughs> he, he focuses everything on Crichton, like laser focus, like all of his neuroses, like you know, do you write, do you dabble medical science, <laughs> well, no, which I will never get bored of. That that phrase. I've never seen Butler as being outwardly smug, but I think when you say lack of self-awareness, I think that's what it is. It's just the fact he's been on his own for let's just assume three million years, doing everything that he's fancied doing. He's just like, well, you know, I've had all this time and you've been three million years old, then surely you'd have done the same stuff, right? Because yes. you're, you're a mechanoid like me, you're, you you know, he's not being, he's not trying to be arrogant, he's not trying to be, to put him in his place, he's just kind of, un, he's just confused as to why Crichton hasn't done the same stuff he has because he's had the same amount of time and surely the same amount of inclinations, inclinations as he's, you know, he's a mechanoid like him, so... I don't know. I've never seen. It was, it, it's interesting because I, I genuinely think it's amazing that is that Doug's managed to write Butler as he could come across as smug, but for some reason, every time I want to, every time I see that first scene when you first see his face, I kind of go, I really wouldn't like to meet this person, but I really can't find anything wrong with him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I find it I find it really weird that I have more problems with Crichton having a midlife crisis 
than the universe <laughs> having a midlife crisis in terms of the, the relative ages of what they're supposed to be. <laughs> I buy that the universe is halfway through its life, but I got more problems with Crichton. One thing that what Danny said problem. reminded me of, which is something that the episode could possibly have made more explicit, is that you've got Butler has achieved all these things because he's been on his own for three million years, whereas Crichton has achieved less because he's had. Well, he didn't have to look after the crew of the Nova Five when they were skeletons. Um, But yeah, he cares for Lister and Rimmer and the Cat, and that's that's his life's work, Mm -hmm. as opposed to uh, having the. Yeah, and before that, the skeletons. That's a very relevant. To write novels and and paint and make cures. But the episode doesn't say at any point that that is an equally valid way to spend your time. But I think maybe the quote about love ties in with that. I and think maybe it, that's why it, it sits a bit better with me because it, because that bit about love uh, cancels out a, a little nag about the episode, which is that well, Crichton's life is actually worthwhile as well. I yeah, I feel it's a difficult one. I I wish the love stuff had been rewritten to be slightly closer to what's missing, which is the stuff about family, family. Yeah. But at the same time. I'm aware that what I'm actually asking is, can you rewrite the script to be more obvious? Mm. And I don't. And is that a good idea? Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to ask. I don't want to ask the episode to spoon feed me. Yeah. But at the same time, I feel like it's a link that's stretching out and it I isn't think, quite there. I think the episode is already kind of balancing on these most like these really delicate structures, and if a, a tiny part of it was changed, it could all. That's just true. Crumble yeah. into quietly TV. It is and... an empire. It actually it, it, one other thing. What you say about how um, Crichton sacrificing all this other stuff for the sake of family um, really does mean something and, and rings true and is a very interesting part of the episode. And it's so much more interesting than that final scene with Plentica, which mm. just takes the same thing and makes a shit joke out of it. I think um, as well the, the the difference between Butler and Crichton. Um, ties into sort of the original question about advancedness. Like, like Crichton was more advanced. Really, what that seems to mean is that he was a more perfect creation when it came to servitude, whereas Butler was um, clearly had programming that was more easily broken. So Butler was able to pursue his garden, yeah. um, which was his, you know, his artistic work, and and Crichton ended up just. Well, he became he became he became you know a computer science major, but um, he um, he also just he never shook the core of his programming, which is serving, um, and, and that has morphed into this family thing and love. But it's still he's, he's Lister, a computer scientist for God's sake. Yeah, exactly. Lister that has broke Lister broke Crichton's programming, but only in the areas that were convenient for him. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. But, Butler has broken his own pram- programming and stopped being a servant. Whereas, yeah. because Crichton had Lister to break his programming for him, Lister kept in the bit where yeah. he where he was a servant yeah. and just and the, yeah. and how brilliant the episode acknowledges this and is self aware enough yeah. to talk about this. The, yeah, the the Lister made Crichton who he is. Yeah, yeah, in, in, in a slightly yeah, it's slightly dark. Like break his programming <laughs> to to fit his own needs. He's still still using Crichton. But would Lister have done that deliberately <laughs> yeah, or with that in mind? Yeah, probably yeah, not. What, what I find most interesting is I think we've actually dedicated more time talking about Crisis than any other episode up to this um, point. 45 minutes, I think. Which is, <laughs> which is really kind of says it all in terms of... I think it's the most interesting episode by a, a margin. Like, there's loads of stuff to talk about with it. 
and there's it, it, definitely got depth to it which is probably what makes it which is probably what takes it past sort of the surface level silliness mm. um, and actually elevates it to a really like one of the best sort of Crichton this is the first time that they've explored a disillusioned Crichton and it's not been shit yeah. all the, the other times it was a very earnest Crichton and, and you know living up to his his expectations and everything like that but this this is a this is a, a pissed off Crichton one that you would see in 7 and you'd see in 8 a rebellious one yeah but it was this is the first time it was done good yeah uh, we've been putting this off, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. it's time to move on. <laughs> kind of worms are shit, so that's um, yeah, that's, that's about the episode. Thanks for Ed, bye everyone. Uh, no, <laughs> kind of worms. I really want to have something nice to say. I really, like anything that was Polymorph Three. I want to love because I really like Polymorph Two, despite uh, what a I've... lot of people would say. And I really wish that at least one of us was on the same wavelength as most of the rest of fandom, including it's people on GNT, because it's not yeah, like it's our com- most of the people in our comments and most of the people who listen to the live Dwarfcast disagree well, with us. Actually, the th- see, this is the thing. Uh, I especially really wished I liked it, because I have a nice habit of liking stuff that all you lot think is shit. Mm. So <laughs> it's actually unusual for me to be on the side of thinking an episode's bad and being agreed with well, it, to the point where I'm like uncomfortable by it, because it's like all it seems to be doing like is take... It. it feels like I'm kicking an episode yeah. that doesn't need my jabs in, because it's got enough jabs from everyone else who usually <laughs> I, likes I the series. I think I'm possibly the only person I've seen that I actually felt mildly offended by mm. the episode. <laughs> um, I think it deserves a kicking for for certain things. Um, and I, I I was trying to explain why uh, the first time around, and I'm not sure I was wholly successful in doing so. <laughs> but I, when I watched it again, I think it comes down to the fact that cats um, wearing a pink glittery um, tracksuit <laughs> when he's pregnant <laughs> and, I, and I was sort of thinking oh, okay. that sparks an association in my brain that I don't like oh, well, and I don't well, even well, know whether it's we're getting into ha- Harry Hill's unpleasant I want a baby song like you know getting like, like it kind of gives yeah. me that, that feeling okay. and I think it felt just a bit I don't I don't even think it was necessarily intentional either, because um, I can't imagine it being intentional. It just had a slightly bitter t- aftertaste to the whole thing. It was, so, it was just such a strange, yeah, it was just a very strange exploration. What, 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 on what level is your objection to the pink tracksuit? Is it a gender issue or a class issue or possibly a, a bit of both? A bit of both. I, um, I, I, because I, I can't say that I. Um, have enough there to make an accusation. Yeah. <laughs> I'm loath to make an accusation because I'm not even sure it was intentional. Um, and I can think that in the cat universe, he obviously he would want to still be look smart. Maybe that's what they're trying to say. Hmm. Um, but there's a there is a really kind of when you see a pink glittery tracksuit, it kind of. You yeah. start making associations in your brain about, and maybe it's unconscious on the production level that I don't know. That you start to think what they, what, you know, what was that? What was that 
decision made for? Like, yeah, why, why, yeah, why a tracksuit of all things? Yeah. I, I, I mean, yeah. are they judging the cat? I mean, <laughs> I mean the cats are so stupid. But, mm. <laughs> but it was, it was one of those unfortunate things that cats did what he did because he has no concept of sex particularly he doesn't understand what it is yeah. and has had no socialization to enable him to um understand what it is in terms of the cat race yeah so and yeah he lives on a council estate yeah it, it was really <laughs> no. weird i think it was so <laughs> strange i just it kind of really took me aback and then yeah it was um and then and then it's I think like it, all the problems that dad was gonna have yeah, see, this was is kind the of thing. funneled there is, into a... There is a slight, and then some of the stuff as well with the um, virgin stuff feels slightly oh, sneery. That I hate and then it yeah, just the it, again, there's not there's just a few things in the episode. But do we that just think that just... because we're all fat virgins? Though, well, that is possible. <laughs> yeah. That is possible. Yeah. Fun fact: I um, two days before I saw this episode, I. Um, found out that I was going to be a father <laughs> <laughs> so it was really really well or terribly timed episode I haven't quite worked out uh, uh, and three days before this episode uh, your yeah, girlfriend visited. opened up a massive pipe and inserted it down <laughs> uh, yeah I don't know I, I, there's there's suddenly I mean again um, the episode has to me the most obvious example of um one of the recurring faults of red dwarf and the dave era which is kind of worms actually does the no change there then gag <laughs> yes it does <laughs> word by word <laughs> and it's like i don't need these filler jokes anymore I'm, I'm past these jokes i'm past filler jokes and i'm past jokes that are just jokes that the series did 15 years ago but 10 times better mm. i don't it actually has got mm. to the point now where it's just winding me up um to the point where it's 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 not, and and it contrasts very sharply with when Red Dwarf's doing it right, which is um, an example which you Tony brought up when um, they actually reference <coughs> Rimmer in Officer Rimmer, where Rimmer saying um, saying oh you are multiple versions of you that that doesn't have a history of going yeah. right, and Rimmer actually answers like, yes, but I'm in charge this time. It's not the same, it and it is it. it is yeah it is yeah. acknowledging something and doing something new and pointing out and something different. strengthening the premise Whereas the whole thing. Whereas a lot of these filler jokes are, are bad photocopies. Mm. Or clam jokes, as Jane, um, what's her name, Jane Epson uh, says, clams, which are just jokes that have been so overdone now that they not only are they not funny, but they're anti-funny. They <laughs> actually destroy comedy. Uh, I think the reason why well, Can of Worms contains so much of that kind of thing is because the plot is so ridiculously it's a plot well there is it's just that it's a a plot that's essentially a three-year-old child recounting something that happens to him and then this happens and then this happens and then this happens and then this happens and And it's just a series of events that take place one after the other with no emotional remember the robot whatever the fuck that was oh yeah yeah. they they chuck away two good guests Uh, within, within minutes and yeah. uh, there's there's good stuff buried like I quite like the polymorph birthing scene post tracksuit when <laughs> the the birthing scene it's the boat and the bits made and the bits with the animals in the box and that kind of thing I mean but the hedgehog with the hat yeah 
perfect. <laughs> but that's like three minutes, and then yeah. it moves on to another three minute sketch where they're doing a bit about Lister having his emotions. Oh, removed. and then the and cat's then three minutes later mother. there's this, and then three minutes later yeah. there's this. She's just she, she lots of little yeah. vignettes. It's one of those episodes where um, you listen back to the Dwarf Quest with it at the time, and unusually, perhaps, I think we nail it, which is like if you're going to promise the cat episode where he meets a female cat, yeah. either you do that episode and you do it brilliantly, or you've got a fucking great other episode. Or you make up. sure, if it's misdirection, yeah. then what it's replaced with needs to be bloody good. And he ain't got it. Yeah. All you've got is and Polymorph also, 3. And indeed, yeah. if you're going to bring back the Polymorphs, you want to do more. Yeah. yeah like, them. Polymorph, obviously, Polymorph 1, like, Polymorph 1. But <laughs> the first Polymorph was, was groundbreaking and it could... It, it had this, it had this prop, and it was it was imperfect, but amazing for the time, and amazing in the context of a sitcom, and it was the first monster in the show, and all of this, and also better and, done than the yeah. shitty prop. You Polymorph get in two comes along, <laughs> and despite despite obviously its inferiority to the first Polymorph, it still it it had an interesting new take on the on the creature, a nice new prosthetic. You don't do the third Polymorph episode and have a limp, shitty little prop in no. mm. a few seconds in a yeah. shot and that's all and it's have yeah. just one scene where you yeah. see it changing from one thing it's to another it's an iconic have thing have just one bit where it turns into a, a guess a character and like again the Mexican standoff good but it was like a minute's worth of stuff and then there's yeah. so much other everything is crammed in like the gag, like, I think probably the funniest bit of the episode is the bit that when it came into the episode, we didn't laugh at because it was the trailer. It was oh, the, yeah. those life signs, are you absolutely sure they're us? It's like, it feels mental that that's <coughs> the same episode as all the stuff mm. with the polymorphs yeah. and the Mexican yeah. standoff yeah. because it yeah. just feels like so much got... happens in such a short period of time and everything just gets tossed away and before that, and you got the cat at the end with the two women oh yeah <laughs> and um, a mama always recognises his oh, that is the, actually the worst line in the series as far as yeah. I can tell it's fucking awful it sounds like it's that horrible thing and I usually hate saying this but it, it's it's it feels like they think it's clever mm. now I know that's kind of ascribing intentions but it I can't help it. It feels like they think this is a brilliant line, and it isn't. It's um, lame. It's awful. It's just rubbish. <laughs> um, I yeah. I what I was getting onto with the two uh, cat or the two cat ladies <laughs> Sorry. in bed, bed with um, cat is that it's yes, it's a dream, but it doesn't really make sense um, because it's not really referred. But we're we're not. I mean, I think we can accept that the cat might fantasise, mm. um, obviously, but there's nothing in the episode to suggest he's learned anything about cat sex. No, and <laughs> the, ah, the, yes. I, have, I have two issues with that scene. One is that it undercuts. Like, the, there's a bit where Lister comes in and they have the little chat about, um, you know, all that stuff that we said earlier. Mm. It's fine. It's okay to be a virgin. That didn't actually happen. The cat dreamt that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And yeah, so, yeah. like. The stuff where you were saying where it was it feels slightly dodgy, some of the virgin stuff, that could have been exonerated if yeah. you'd have had that chat happen yeah. actually happen. Yeah. Yeah. 
And the other thing about it is, I remember at the time, I went to the effort of looking up uh, the two actresses uh, on the internet, <laughs> finding out their ages, and then adding them together, and then finding out Danny John Jules's age. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the sum total of their ages is less than Danny John Jules's. It's not a, a great It's not a great image. No, it really no. isn't. It really isn't. I mean, isn't. It, it is and for it, him. No. <laughs> and again, it's... it's uh, I hate, I hate to say it, but if, if, you, if you've got a show which has an ensemble cast of four men, you've got to be more careful than that. Yeah. You can and get yeah. away with that in some shows, but you need to be, in 2016, if you've got a show with four male guest cast, uh, four male um, main cast, you've got to be careful. And it's usually so good but it as does. well, really. And series 11, in particular, has roles like Harmony, and, yeah, that's um, true. That's true. and Barker from Samsara, where, and Harmony in particular, like, she is just a funny character. There's yes. nothing about her that it's like, it's, it, even, should, even it shouldn't be something that you. Character. Yeah, and th- this definitely shouldn't be something that you have to say about no. a comedy in 2016. No. That the the women no. in it are funny, regardless, and it's not to do with them being women. Like the point of their character. Well, it's more pointing out what the norm should be and what the norm has been previously in the series, and then all of yeah. a sudden it. it, it and then and it, this is yeah. the exception. This is this. Yeah, is yeah. The, and the yeah, good thing the about Barker is, is that good, she's. Um, a plus size woman which yep. I mean in general you don't get a lot of necessarily and she is an object of desire um, yeah she's but with not, agency not a single and... fat joke about either of them no, that, and, Dan and Tetzel really, has yeah, and exactly, he's, recently he's, Dan Tetzel is an average looking man he's, yeah, you know, yeah, I think yeah. he's on the good looking end of average but I, I think that's one thing I really responded to Sansara as well those, those two it's it wasn't idealised yeah, and it wasn't yeah. there was no judgement in yes the, people, two people two normal people who look right. like normal people can yeah. shag each other yeah. just the same way as it would yeah. if it was a model and a yeah. bodybuilder yeah, yeah it's, it seems to be like in the same spirit that the show has always had with two black characters and it never ever be mentioned mm. yeah. you know the, the just, just the kind of the assumption that you know everything's kind of on a level so there we go there's a way to um, get something positive into a discussion about kind of worms is to talk about what was good about Samsara yeah. and, and, <laughs> and the show in the 30 and, years previous yeah, yeah. yeah one thing that has that did strike me on my rewatch there are so many medical scenes in this series of yes. now what came first yes. in terms of the sets <laughs> did he write it and then think we need this set or did he come up with the idea of the set halfway through the set I mean what how, yeah, when was it decided that we yeah. were replacing effectively the old drive room set with not it's not the science room set really it is a medical that's the thing set. it has it yeah I think he, yeah I think he talks about in the uh, in the documentary that he wanted like he he had a starboard cockpit which is new mm. Uh, which is effectively the action that would take place in the drive room in yeah. series ten is taking place on Starbug a lot of the time. So they go out in Starbug way more than yeah. they ever have <laughs> yeah. when they've had Starbug and Red Dwarf. Just they're, in Star- yeah. Yeah. they're in Starbug far more than they were between series three and five. It's a, it's a well, it's a five thing really. They're yeah. in Starbug a lot during five. Yeah. they've got the ship. So yeah, so they've got the Starbug cockpit, and Doug wanted an area of Red Dwarf that wasn't the drive room but could be whatever he needed it to be in the same way that yeah. the science room was used from series three to five onwards. And I think then at some point it gained this big bed from the set of Prometheus. Right. Yeah. And, and then it just then, looks more yeah. like a medical room. And then it room looks like a medical else. room. I mean, just as a, as a comparison of production values between the drive room in Red Dwarf being, being the, the cockpit, yeah. the medibay <laughs> and well, it was the medibay twice, like once for Rimmer, once for Jesus. And it's, and it, 
now look at look at eleven, which is you know it's, it's got a whole corner. Well, it's borrowed a prop obviously from from Prometheus, but it's just everything kind of just seems like it's expanded out, even though they've got a smaller studio this, space. This is well, exactly so what I was about more to location say. work. As yeah, well. more location it's, work. It's yeah. so weird that it's a smaller studio and then it uh, yeah, feels that bigger. looks. I don't. Yeah. Know, I mean, that's really to be honest. The the, the look of the set. Um. Well, the, the, when I went to see an episode of Twelve. I mean, maybe the the actual studio itself is small. I don't think the space in which the sets are built, or like the size of the sets, I think. Pretty well, much the all match the up. audience capacity is smaller. The audience capacity is smaller. Yeah, I think maybe the sets. And I think, I think, yeah, I think the sets are more economically put play, together. Like, yeah, okay. I think they make better use of the space. Than they well, have it's There's also worth pointing out that by far the brightest lit set is that science room set, and yep. that's going to help you. Yeah. And it feels it makes it feel distinct because you've got the big, the big, you've got red, blue, and you've got this white light area, mm. and then you've got all your all your locations, and it just kind of helps. Locations. The, ah, here's a positive thing about kind of worms, uh, using locations for areas on board Red Dwarf, yes. which is something that we used to take for granted. Like even in the Manchester days, that would be. Yeah. Would be what sections that? What? Um, when they're down in the cargo decks with. Um, trying to find the polymorph and they do the Mexican oh, standard that's yes, all location which is very, you, you know very which is very polymorph yeah. I think I think that's I kind of block out that one because that's the prime example of what I mean when I say the episode just turns into a run around mm. just well, yeah. loses well, so think, polymorph. Okay. The, the, the positivity <laughs> about uh, Can of Worms is that what's executed is executed well it's just the the script that I have. Yeah, it's, just, <laughs> it's just it's just the gist of the episode and the way that this. But it's so curious that the, the the difference in opinion because a lot of people love this episode and I find I mean, it weird. Surely, surely the production must have felt incredibly positive, but confident about this yeah, episode. Yeah. Because otherwise, weird, you put yeah. cri- you put Crisis out last, or you put. I, I um, still think putting Crisis out last would have been if you just swapped around Can of Worms and Crisis. It would have been a very back because, to reality. Because I, I, I feel mm. I, I do feel quite negatively about this series in a lot of ways, and I, I think Can of Worms is an awful lot to you do. You can't with go that. out on I a was, duff note, not with Red It's Dwarf. a shame. Yeah. yeah, it's a real shame. But I would love to know why it seems to be such a difference in opinion mm. between us and our audience. In I fact, th- there were I, so many people who love Can of Worms, and I'm struggling to. I can't. I the the faults with this episode are so evident to me yeah. that I can't ignore them, yeah. and I can't just brush them under the carpet and try and enjoy the comedy in the yeah. same way that I can when there's you know more minor problems with with plots. I I just I I was watch I watched it all today and all right I didn't like Give and Take which I know isn't a particularly popular opinion but throughout the other episodes I was at least on some level engaged. Mm. About ten minutes in I drifted off. Yeah. I just I'm I'm on my phone, I'm on my laptop and I'm trying to watch it because I'm trying to be I'm supposed to be talking about this, this is why I rewatched it. <laughs> and there's nothing there that grabs me. It's just so bitty. It's it just it's a series of unconnected events and so by the time you've had five or six of those Jesus. If, if Can of Worms and Crisis have been switched around, then this dwarf cast would all be about, well, that was crap, but hey, it's the yeah, fifth episode, yeah, yeah. it's yeah. hidden away, you're allowed one duff one, whatever. Yeah. And then, hey, Crisis, that's got a lot better than we even thought at the time. Man, swap round... I don't know why I said man. Oh, man. man. Big poet, Wade. <laughs> man, if you tell you what, man. If you swap... <laughs> You swap round Crisis <laughs> and kind of worms, then you, you got a stool going. <laughs> you would have the same thing, like dear Dave 
has a very bitty yeah. plot that doesn't hang together and yeah. is just a series of sketches that happen to have a few interconnected right. bits between them, but overall is a giant mess of a story. Yeah. And then an episode comes along, the beginning or crisis that explores a character, yeah. Yeah. Uh, takes it into unexpected places, and has a big emotional, satisfying conclusion. But you see, the thing, the thing that's so yeah. weird about this is that we know Dear Dave was an absolute fucking trouble production, and it doesn't seem that Can of Worms was. And like we said, they were confident enough with Can of Worms to put it out last. And yeah. I think on paper, if you look at it, like from a marketing point of view, the one where Cat finally meets a female cat and we yeah. we meet the cat people that despite the fact that as discussed it was not <laughs> a promise that was delivered is something that you can understand oh look, that's the one that people will be looking forward to let's put that out last yeah i do find it endlessly frustrating and i i think unfortunately it ended our coverage of 11 on a down note and, it, and then it, it kind of has carried on i i it's well i think yeah now with a little bit of hindsight if you look at the around the same time that that happened, there were also other things in the Red Dwarf world that yeah. were not perfect, i.e. UK TV play posting mm. crisis uh, a week early. Oh, we were thoroughly fucking early. fed up by this. We were, we were fed up by the whole UK TV play thing. I think that that's partially just our problem, but we're not the only ones. Like yeah. It's not just the fact that it made our dwarf cast a bit annoying that we're <laughs> against it. Yeah. Other people are too. But then you also had um, the Steelbook clusterfuck yeah, <laughs> as I like to refer to it, uh, and at around the same time, the Red Dwarf shop was at its worst in terms of like uh, they weren't fulfilling <coughs> orders. Uh, stuff was starting to be sent yeah. out, and it was bad, and there was a lot of negative feeling around there. Then the DVD, of course, uh, yeah. the contents thereof. Like I, I spoke about it in great length at the time that it came out, but. Like while there are great bits in the DVD, and I think the documentary is still like I'll put this on. I, st I still think the documentary is a great documentary and a great yeah. piece of work. It, there's just not enough of it. So underwhelming because and it's the rest the, of the DVD yeah. that's not enough. And that was one of the factors that made series eleven end with a bit of a mm, yeah from us and from fandom in a in a wider sense. But with hindsight, yeah, we can say we can just completely say if you ignore kind of worms, <laughs> then this has been a more positive. Uh, as a group of us five, uh, overall more positive than series ten. The the thing is, the thing that's really um brings up the batting average for me for eleven is actually Officer Rimmer. Mm. If I wasn't as skinned as off the Rimmer as I am, actually, it'd be roughly the same. Yeah, I really can't wait until twelve. I'm very interested in in how because I've got this thing in the back of my head about how it's gonna be dialed up and be a bit more batshit insane and yeah um, I think it's because it might be aiming for a disappointment well, well, yeah. that's what people the impression that, that, that from the from the um that's what that was something yeah. that kept on being and said. if that means more yeah. quietly tv uh, quite TV stuff, <laughs> <laughs> that's not what we want if, if that means more <sighs> crisis like crises more crises then that could be i mean that could be a very 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 yeah. fun I'm, series. I'm My least yeah. favorite parts of, of Red Dwarf is always when it falls back on the old standbys that I don't think are that funny anymore. Yeah, maybe. And if it it's not doing just... that, and if it's doing brand new stuff, I'm really. Well, I, yeah, I hope that that is the case, and that it wasn't a kind of confirmation bias with series twelve. Because when we were publishing set reports and people were talking about them on Twitter, was that a bit of you know mimetic mutation where people were looking out for? Oh yeah, it's yeah. very different and it's yeah, very yeah, out yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Or is it genuinely the case? And I hope it is, because I can only speak for the one that I have seen. 
uh, and it is fucking mental. <laughs> the, the, one, the one I saw was actually fairly straightforward, but ends <coughs> mentally. So there's... I really hope it's fucking mental. I really yeah. hope there's more stuff to challenge us, like Crisis has challenged us, and whether we like it yes. or not individually. Yeah, because by yes. far the the episode I've had the most fun talking about tonight, as we've already said, mm. is Crisis by by a mile because it's got so much to get into, and, and even though I don't yeah. like all of it, it doesn't doesn't. Well, yeah, I I really much. like Crisis, and it's one that's got lots of bits to talk about. I'm not so keen on Samsara, but it also has that, and mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I prefer Samsara to something like fathers and sons or entangled where it's a more straightforward plot uh done in a in a half decent way yeah mm. yeah then i am with with samsara which has bits that i'm not keen on but is a lot more of yeah. an interesting prospect we, we've, yeah. we've had we've had more than enough solid um Red Dwarf as we know well, it Red, Red Dwarf point, needed to re-establish itself yeah. it needed to come back and it was a long time off air and yeah, yeah. it was an especially long time between Doug doing what he wanted to do uh, because Back to Earth was not what he wanted to do Back to Earth was massive compromise Yeah, and so we needed Series 10 to happen to for Doug to to re-establish this is what Red Dwarf is mm-hmm. and then, had to and then you needed to <laughs> yeah then there was another bloody guy <laughs> yeah. and then and then yeah, eleven was Doug's way of saying, "Okay, we've re-established what we can do. Let's try and start pushing it into these directions." And they're kind of a mix of mm-hmm. traditional and brand new ideas. Well, it's all brand new ideas, but you know what I mean. Yeah, Tradi- no. the traditional approach and the more out there elements. So now the natural progression for that would be for series twelve to be a little bit crazy. Mm-hmm. But since when has Red Dwarf ever followed the natural <laughs> the natural progression, even when it comes to plot lines in episodes of I mean, series 11 I, I, I'm struggling to find like, to, to really kind of think like, what what the hell must it be like to be Doug Naylor and to sit down and write 12 episodes and not just 12 episodes but two lots of six mm. and like, how does he split that up in his head does he does he have like the natural progression of like oh, I enjoyed writing Crisis as a bit is a bit crazy. When I go into twelve, I'm going to really lean into well, that because he can't really be that reactive. Surely well, yeah. he's going to write did he twelve episodes. Have 12 I- the did same. he have twelve yeah. ideas in advance and designate them? Yeah, series this, by series. Sprinkle them up for whatever yeah. reason. This is the always the big um, unknown factor of Red Dwarf. We've we know so much about how Red Dwarf's model effects were made. We, yeah. we know have so many reports of the audience yeah. recording. We know very, very little throughout the entire history of the show. What was the writing process? Do we even know who sat behind the computer and typed it? Was it both of them? Mm. Was it one I, of them? I have a, I have an, I have a visual of Doug sitting down on a typewriter and Rob walking Pacing around in circles behind him, and that must have been meant to be something. But that's, um, I mean, that could yeah. just be the idea of Cleese and Chapman. Right? That's, that's exactly yeah. what I was thinking. No, I'm sure. I'm sure they mentioned it. It might have been on Six of the Best. It might have yeah. been on. But well, there's, there's, this there's, is another reason yeah. why I was so disappointed with the DVD because, like you say, from a production point of view, the documentary tells a, a fantastic story and it tells it well. But we're missing the analysis and the story, Doug which is does like seem the heart incredibly of the show. shy about the, not shy, but just reticent about really pushing on with 
with talking about the writing process. And I don't know whether that's just because he's just not something he's comfortable talking about or whether it's something that he doesn't think people are interested in, which is something he's said in the past. Do you know what? I think, I think a lot interested of, in hearing from him. I think a lot of writers don't especially like talking about their progress. Yes, which is, I don't think it's just this. Well, maybe yeah. that's for, for like for our own good in some ways. Do you want that lid to be lifted? Yeah. Because well, even the old magazine interviews with Rob and Doug don't give nearly as much about the nitty gritty of writing. There still as needs to hope. be some mystery there because you you kind of need to. I mean, well, I, maybe I, you need to go. Maybe it needs to be a retrospective thing. Then yeah. maybe it's like maybe now we can talk about how series one was written. Because yeah, it's maybe, like, you know, yeah, it's yeah. so easy to do revisionist history yeah. that long after the you event. Do, you do like, even if you yeah, did it yourself, yeah. it's mm. too easy to write a perfect way of how you how you wrote yeah i think for certain creatives especially directors and writers is that as a fan i i, I do like to kind of keep them on a on, on a bit of a ultimately unrealistic kind of pedestal which basically paints them as being a little bit magic yeah. and anything that kind of chips away at that is interesting but well, well we focus know, so much on Doug's work as a director now as well and, yeah, and we talk about it's there to be seen. yeah because that's what we are told about yeah. and you know series 10 what we think about on series 10 because of the documentary is all the problems that were faced and how Doug dealt with that but we don't often like that's the indefinable magical thing about Doug is that he also has this brain that comes out with red dwarf plots yeah. and comes out with these stories and has versions of these characters living in his brain and yeah do I want to know absolutely everything about that probably not but I would like to know a little bit more yeah. well I mean yeah. I've, if you pick any given episode of red dwarf that was written by Rob and Doug could you say with certainty any particular line no, was written by Rob or any written by the, Doug? I could not. I've had many arrogant moments oh. where I've dared to presume like, oh, that's clearly a Rob line because it's funny and about sci-fi. Well, the, the, the ongoing the debates that have been happening for like, 24 years and counting mm -hmm. now is is Rob the funny one or is yeah. Doug the funny one? Is Rob the sci-fi one? And no one fucking knows. No, no. <laughs> like you can make the argument both ways by taking the bits that you want to, to that, that confirm your prejudices from last human and backwards. Yeah, but you don't. And know. dark ages. For and that dark matter. ages. <laughs> well, yeah, based on dark ages, Rob is the shit one. <laughs> Wait, all we know is when those two talents are combined, you get one to six. Yeah. Of Red Dwarf, yep. and that's all we know. Yeah. <laughs> yep, that's a pretty consistent. Yeah. Is there a way in which this conversation concludes with something about Series 11? Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> so, because I, you know we what? need it's, a conclusion. It's, it's, can, it's yeah. can of worms that just set us off wanting to talk about it, anything it, else. What it's, it did is it opened a container <laughs> of, of, of yes. snakes. <laughs> can I go and think of a synonym for worms? <laughs> It's, but this is fair, what it's come to. What other worms? I do have something to say, which yeah. is that my rewatch today uh, confirmed to me that Red Dwarf 11 for me is an immensely frustrating experience. Um, and I do think it's a series of two halves for me, and it seems to be of a series of two halves for everyone, mm. except there may be different, different episodes. No, of those no one two agrees. <laughs> for, for, me, for me, it's Twentica, it's um, Crisis, and it's Officer River in the top half for me. And then the other three, I think Sabsara is certainly the most interesting of the other three. And then really give and take and, and kind of worms, I'd mm. be happy if I never saw either again. I really feel that strongly about him. I cannot, I just can't be doing with them. I, I, I may well never watch either of them again, in fact, because I'm not interested. Mm. If I go back and watch Red Dwarf 11, I don't think I'll be able to bother I, with them. Please. I think, yeah, it is mixed quality, but I would go... Uh, 
with Crisis being slightly above the rest, mm-hmm. uh, Can of Worms being way lower than the rest, mm-hmm. uh, Samsara being slightly below the rest, and then the rest. The rest. <laughs> but what I'm trying to say there is I don't think it's half and half. I think that um, right, I think that yeah. all but Can of Worms are pretty consistent, but I've got favourites and least favourites among mm-hmm. them, and then Can of Worms. Yeah, yeah, for me, like Series 10 was split neatly into thirds, and mm. this is a lot more complicated. Yeah. And I think that's reflected in the, the wide variety of opinions that people have. It's it this it's a series that's been everything for everyone at various points. Yeah. And maybe that makes even with it, within each episode within, it has yeah and within maybe, pairs of episodes yeah maybe that makes it as good as it as it kind of can be. Here's something that will always stick with me <laughs> from yes. this series is that now it is the series with which I first heard the words Red Dwarf in the opening titles and yes. now I can't not hear it yeah. <laughs> but especially with series 11 yes. as I w- sat and watched them all through yesterday and I've and I've watched episodes of non-series 7 uh, series bloody 7 <laughs> series, series 11 in the meantime and not noticed the Red Dwarf but for some reason <laughs> I can only notice it Maybe on series 11 slight, yeah, I, like, I can understand how I didn't pick up on it yeah. but now I know maybe there's, there's, we, there's, there's, there's know. something about maybe they mixed the, the theme for this particular one that was just <laughs> different enough for, for Daryl to, to to pick it up and then for people to be able to hear it and now the floodgates are opened and everything's ruined <laughs> see what I what I love is this idea that um, how a good old sat on this secret and has not told a living soul. No, he just forgot. He just forgot, that's it. I really like his reaction to it, though. It's, yeah, it's no, very that nice that he said, well, I don't know, I can't remember. He's actually said, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, let's let's turn that into a thing. Let's see, you know. <laughs> Someone has finally uncovered my secret. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is always the plan. A good spot. I was going to wait for Twitter to be invented. <laughs> 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 anyway, uh, so that was our our views on series 11 such as they were yeah. oh After. I've got one final comment yes they do a joke about Crichton's big hands in Crisis I presu- they? yeah they yeah, do there is a line do. about Crichton having big hands oh yeah I wonder yeah, whether that handed twice yeah I wonder whether um, <laughs> Doug Naylor saw the big hands in the costume and wrote it in <laughs> <laughs> very possibly anyway that's that's a good note to end on. That uh, is a great note to end on. So a big hand for our <laughs> contributors tonight. Uh, me, Ian, uh, Capsie, John. <laughs> Applaud me. Tanya and Danny. <laughs> uh, we'll be back again at another time to talk about Red Dwarf, old, new, past, present and future. So when we, when we when figure we, out what 12's doing. Yeah, <laughs> when it happens. Uh, but until such a point as we return, Ed by everybody. Thank you for listening to GNT Dwarfcast, and we hope sometime in the future you'll decide to listen to our Dwarfcast again. Have a safe onward journey. Goodbye.